0: Hi there, I'm Steve Joel. Thanks for listening in to my podcast. The whole drive behind 40K Game Changers is to get to know the awesome people who've changed the way we play or paint or consume 40K and to hear some fun stories. It's me, Nick,
1: Sean Naden, you know, some of the big names there who are potentially in the running to win it. So Nick comes by, he's hanging out, he's chilling, he spills wine all over my table twice (laughs) on the round one.
0: And, you know, this is this crazy guy having fun. In this episode, we meet the man they call The Machine, widely regarded as the best player in the game over the past couple of years. And as a bonus in this ep, he's happy to throw his highly rated housemates under the bus. Do you classify yourself as a bandwagon guy, or do you think you are a person who has a few armies you like? Yeah, I think John is the biggest bandwagon. <laughs> He's just all over the place. He, he played. He did switch to Jukari when they were absolutely broken and won the, the Texas event with them. And it's not just those closest to him. You want controversy? Here's what he thinks of the whole Chaos faction said earlier you don't like chaos what is it uh, no, it's just the aesthetic it, of
1: it the aesthetic the lore I, I like none of it right the heretics must be heard <laughs> steve
0: yeah this is going to be a fun ride so with a hearty thanks to the frontline gaming network for supporting the podcast let's get on with the show it's time for the patented world famous in 40k big intro He has won Warzone Atlanta, Nova, the Pro Tabletop Major, LVO, the GW Open in Orlando, the GW Open in New Orleans. In fact, it would be easier and quicker to list the things he hasn't won. He writes for Goonhammer and coaches at the Art of War 40K with luminaries such as John Lennon, Brad Chester and Nick Nunavati. He's an expert when it comes to the French Revolution of 1795, but that's probably not relevant to this chat. Richard Siegler, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? Best introduction I've ever received, Steve. Congratulations. <laughs> it's kind of my specialty. I, I always think it would be fun to have someone walking around in front of you and introducing you properly wherever you go. <laughs> That's probably a little too much, but uh, I appreciate the extra effort. Uh, how long before you become Dr. Professor Richard Siegler? You're a doctorate candidate at the moment, is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all I have to do is uh, finish the last couple bits of writing and then defend the dissertation. So it's coming up soon. For someone who's never done his PhD, how long does that take you to achieve?
1: On average, a PhD in history uh, takes, you know, four, five, six years. Uh, You can go up to a max of seven years.
0: Okay. Is Uh, that that on top of the
1: study you've already done? That's that's in total. So usually you take about three years of coursework, you do your uh, exams, and then you have about two years to do research and then two years to write.
0: I love that on Rate My Professors, you have some outstanding reviews. I had a class with Professor Siegler this year, and he's a very kind person and a great teacher. Ten out of ten. Recommend. It's kind of nice, right? That's There's nice no higher hear. praise than that. <laughs> no. uh, I want to go back to the beginning because that's, you know, that's all by the by. Back to the beginning of your hobby life. I'm picking with the cultural and economic influence of the French Revolution on modern France being your area and 40K being your hobby. Were you always kind of on the nerdy side? Oh, always. Always. I played so much StarCraft. You have no idea how much StarCraft <laughs> I played growing up. All right. So you went out on the in, in Florida or on the football field or on the baseball field? Is that, Or is that something that Americans all do when you're growing up? Oh, so I actually grew up in New York. I am not a native Floridian.
1: I don't want to be lumped in with them, like John. (laughs) (laughs) I am a New Yorker. I'm a proud New Yorker. Fair enough. And uh, I only moved down here for grad school, but I did actually play soccer for many years.
0: All right, cool. Uh,
1: Football, uh, Europeans call
0: it. Football in Europe, soccer in New Zealand, Australia, the States. Now, I've heard it before, but I love the story of how your brother got you into 40K. Can you run us through that? So my friend got me into 40K, Eric. Okay. He uh, showed me some Blood Angel models
1: at one point. I was like, oh, these are awesome. So we ended up going to Games Workshop store, and then it was my brother and I. We got the starter box for third edition, so it was Jukari versus uh, Space Marines. I wanted to do Blood Angels, and my brother absolutely hated the aesthetic of Jukari and instead
0: loved Tau, and so he started with Tau. Right. And you've uh, said before that Grey Knights was your favorite army, Mm-hmm. but... Uh you went with Tau just because Grey Knights were no good. Is that still the case? Yeah. So I
1: basically I started Blood Angels, and then I was like, oh, man, these Grey Knights are amazing. Terminators are my favorite thing yeah. uh, in the Space Marine line, and Grey Knights are all about Terminators. So I got a ton of the metal Terminators, the old you know, Land Raider Crusader with the metal bits. Yeah. So I had a full uh, Demon Hunters army at that time. And I love that army, love the aesthetic, uh, love every, everything about it in the lore. I love the Inquisition uh, in the lore, especially the Eisenhorn series. So huge fan of that. And when I came back in 8th edition, I never played competitively before that. So playing competitively, starting in 8th edition, I went with uh, Tau because it was my brother's favorite faction. And I was seeing if I could spark his interest again in the game. Did it work? no it didn't
0: (laughs) no he helps us out at our he's our accountant right uh, oh really he doesn't play anymore okay so there's so there's uh you get just get to play whatever army you want now there's no beholden to your brother or having to give him the nice looking models or anything no and i have a team here so i do get to
1: play my favorite armies i don't i'm not forced to play chaos or something i dislike so i get to play necrons i get to play
0: admech i get to play blood angels um I get to play Grey Knights, of course. Yeah. So you took a break. We kind of glossed over that a bit. You started and you and your brother had the box and, you know, you did all that cool stuff. And then you had a break. This this is a, a fairly, I don't want to say common story, but a recurring theme. People start when they're young and then they discover other stuff in the world and off they go. Is that what happened?
1: Yeah. I mean, I went away to college, didn't have like a friend group who really loved 40K. It was basically me, my brother and my cousin that played. Yeah. Uh, so we like family trips. We can bring forty K models, and you know, find a place to play, and and play crazy one v one v one games where <laughs> you know you don't want to be the one who's getting uh, two people against them. So, um, I basically up to early fifth edition, right before the new Grey Knight book came out, I actually bought it. But didn't get to play any games with it and apparently that's the best Grey Knights have ever been oh and of I course missed that opportunity <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> um but they're actually pretty good again now so happy about that
0: yeah we'll come um, back to that later on Grey Knights being pretty good again um because there's there was I think Grey Knight players around the world just it been waiting for so long and, yeah. and then it happened and did you think when you came back in, in eighth edition uh, did you come back because the hobby was something that appealed to you again or you had time again, or did you come back with the mind to be competitive at this thing immediately? Yeah, so I didn't actually come back
1: with the competitive mindset. Instead, I was doing research in Paris, and from Monday to Saturday, I was in the archives. So I needed something to do on Sunday, and walking around the city is awesome and you know exploring the museums and stuff is cool. But that's not enough. So I went down to the local games workshop. I was like, I love 40K, I still like the lore, I still like the aesthetic and the universe. Um, so I went down there and I was like, oh, all this new stuff, a new edition had come out. Let's check it out, see what it's like. And there's a really friendly uh, gaming group in uh, the Paris 8 games workshop. Um, Olivier, if you're listening, if you ever listen, you're awesome. And I went ahead and started purchasing some Tau stuff, You know, slowly get back into the building and painting. And played some games. I, you know, started going on, you know, online to see, you know, what the meta's like. Find all the different communities where people were talking about, for, uh, you know, 40k. Because back in, you know, third to fifth edition, I did follow the competitive scene. You know, not, you know, uh, you know, wholehearted, but I was interested in the players who were were good at the time. So I knew of Nick's name, right, and uh, uh, you know some other top players like Andrew Gagno. But I didn't play competitively, and I just started slowly getting back into it in Paris. And then when I came back in Florida, there's a very vibrant RTT and GT scene. So I started going to some RTTs. I did really well in my first one, going two and one with uh, Custodes and Imperial Guard. And then uh, from there, I started playing Tau and slowly building a list that would end up bringing a bunch of championships.
0: Yeah, and the, like we we all know all about the list. Anyone who's followed you know you through the years and tried to copy that list (laughs) familiar with it, but, um, Steve, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I did not do as well with that list as you did. So I tried, uh, yeah, you did, you did your best to help me out. And I appreciate it. Hey, um, so I I just want to cut back to Paris for a second because I I think that's so, so cool. I mean, lots of people go away and come back into it, but not many people come back into it in Paris, Mm. uh, which I feel adds a whole nother layer of, uh, I don't know romance to the story or whatever it might be. I've got this image. My my wife is French, so we've spent some time over there, and uh, we you know had a drink at the Bastille and all that sort of stuff, which you will be very familiar with given your expertise yeah. in that era. Um, but uh, it, it must have been quite cool playing against you know French people and having that whole French culture around the gaming community as well. Yeah, I mean the thing is, you you go
1: into the store and. It's all, you know, they might be speaking a different language, but it's all, they love all the same things. Right. Uh, all the nerd culture. You know, everybody was talking about Rick and Morty and, and episodes yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> so it was just great to be surrounded by people who had uh, a lot of similar, uh, you know, interests.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the Warhammer 40K, the international language. So- it's a great
1: community. Just, uh, 40K is about community, and that's what I found in Paris, and that's why I was able to –
0: start, you know, actually getting reinvested in the game. It doesn't matter who you talk to or at what level they play, but 40K is about the community. I mean, it's just, it is about uh, considering we're a bunch of nerds, it's actually really about being social, isn't it? It's about the person at the on the other yeah. side of the table or your gaming group or your, whatever it is, the group of buddies you go away to a tournament with. It's all about community at every level. Yeah, it's about finding a group
1: of people that you have a lot of commonalities with and who are just interesting to talk to. You know, there's there's no... It, it's very hard to not find a topic that you can talk about with these uh, with these gamers.
0: By the way, do you speak any French? Yeah, of course. Okay. I haven't
1: practiced in a while at this point. Right. But, uh, yes. But you are. But you're to, reasonably good. Go again. If people ask for me directions on the metro, I'd be able to give them directions to where they want.
0: Yeah, to Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my wife teaches French, so I think I'm pretty good in France. I can get around. I can order a drink. I can, like you say, give directions. Yeah. But because she's a teacher, she'll always pull me up on my. Syntax yeah. issues or whatever. <laughs> you need to be grammatically correct, Steve. Yeah, that's right. Well, the French are very hot on that, as you as, you, yeah. as you know. Absolutely. You've got to protect the national language. Yeah. So, um, all right, we're back in Florida and you're getting into the game and you've gone with Tao and you've started doing well at tournaments. And then uh, was it a lot of work for you at that point? I mean, given the fact that you're also chasing an academic career, I'm trying to imagine how you fit in learning all the rules for your army and then all the other armies, because we know that's a big part of being successful is knowing all of the armies and what they do. How did yeah. you manage to fit it all in, man? For,
1: uh, fundamentally, a history PhD is about a lot of reading, being able to digest a lot of information very quickly and spit it out in a coherent, concise way. So being able to just draw on a huge rule set, 8th edition, brand new, all these new codexes and stuff, and it's a totally new system from that I was used to in 3rd and 5th edition, so... It's a lot to get, you know, uh, reacquainted with. But at the same time, that's what my training was in. Right. So whatever field, 40K, any other academic fields, I can just gather information very quickly and, and break it down. So I didn't have a, any problems understanding the rules. What I did was getting good at the rules. And that is where Mr. John Lennon beat me down several times with my yeah, and actually unintentionally helped me refine that list. And then we actually became teammates on Team Brohammer.
0: Funnily enough, my very next question on my list is that I heard you say on a recent podcast that you had your butt kicked by John Lennon a few times, but that, 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 that helped you with getting good, right? It's, yeah, it's not that just is why I'm of, good. It's not a matter of learning the game and going, hey, presto, now I, now I can play it. Uh, you got to get some bruises along the way. Yeah, you have to learn the hard. You know, you have to visit the school of hard knocks to actually be good at this game, like
1: really good. Um, to you know, have a eighty plus ninety plus percent win rate, you need to. Get beaten down several times and learn some of the hard lessons. So, John was that guy for me.
0: Yeah. But uh, I finally did beat him at Nova. That was the first time I beat him in a tournament. Right. And now, uh, you know, now you two play against each other on such a regular basis. I don't even know All if you keep time, track yeah. anymore, but uh, I imagine you do. You do keep track at tournaments. Um, but he's uh, he and Nick and and Brad uh, or Mark mm-hmm. Perry because he's in the house. Having the, that group of guys to play against, it almost gives you an unfair advantage because you're always getting top level play and getting so much play that you've got to go to tournaments thinking, you know, we're in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, it is a tremendous advantage to only play against other top
1: people, especially because those, we have such a group that wants to draw. As soon as new rules come out, there's one or two people who's immediately like, I'm going to build the best army for this. I'm going to you know, really digest these rules and that helps all of us actually get better against those armies. So right. there's no armies that we just struggle against or we don't really have practice against.
0: Yeah, which is amazing. And also, the, and now, are you one of the people, and I know Nick is, I don't know about others, but I know Nick is one of these people. Are you one of those people that will go through the Codex and and really be able to identify the jank like where you can layer up stratagems and warlord traits and whatever other abilities a model or a unit might have and and see that straight away in a codex i know some people are are amazing at that
1: yeah i mean i consider myself pretty good at list building typically i run relatively unique lists yeah um triple tide wasn't unique but the tech choices that I added to it and how I played it was very different. I played it v- very aggressively, getting into melee, tagging things, trapping things, um, and using two-man drone units as efficiently as possible to score secondary points and screen. Yeah. That was very different. Um, and then in ninth edition, I've taken armies like Necrons. I developed the uh, what I consider the Silent King build. Um, yeah. Now, I didn't get to go to events due to COVID, but uh, I had actually quite a bit of success in the early part of the edition with that. With Admic, I've been running a very unique uh, veteran cohort style. Um, only recently did I start running the flyers, simply because the org matchup is very difficult. Um, you know, for Gray Knights, the list that Nick ran at the team tournament is the one that I had been developing, yeah. and uh, you know, in secret as we were prepping that <laughs> team event.
0: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. But it turns out like people like Ben Sherwin also had similar ideas. Like Dread Knights are amazing. Uh, what the final
0: combination is comes down
1: to player choice, local meta.
0: That's an interesting thing, isn't it? That when, uh, and I, I haven't got this here as a question, I want to come back to my my pre-prepared questions eventually, but there's something that's funny that, you know, when you look at a, a list and you'll say, oh, Richard Siegler had success with this list. John Lennon had success with that list. And so you copy the list and you go to a tournament and you get your butt handed to you. And it's like, that's, it's not all about the list. Quite often, I have found... I'm starting to be successful with my Space Wolves list, but only because I've actually developed it to my playstyle. I've gotten rid of a lot of the stuff that works for other people, and I've gone, you know what works for me is this. And you've got to work it out for yourself a lot of times. Exactly. I mean, a great example is just uh, the other week I played uh, Marshall Peterson's Necron List on
1: stream and just wasn't clicking with my playstyle, whereas I played uh, my Silent King build against um, Jack's Black Templars just today. And had a lot more success. Really tight game against the brand new uh, Black Templars. Yeah. So sometimes you just, you know, really all the time you should be playing towards your player skill. You know, find the good things within the book, but then mold that around what style you play. If it's a defensive style, you don't need those aggressive trade pieces because you're not going to use them effectively. Right. they are not going
0: to fit into your overall game plan. The other And the other thing is, uh, the other quite big thing, I think, is uh, I can't do what you can do in the same way that I can't, play football the way Pele did or Maradona did I have to adjust to the way I can play I when you do your movement phase you you miss nothing whereas there are so many times I'd finish movement and go oh crap that guy's out of place and so that these this unit won't get buffs or I've messed that up or I've forgotten to do that all the time I can't do what you can do so I have to adjust the list or the game to fit into what I can achieve realistically is that fair
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, to your original point about, you know, I can't play this list the same way that that I do. um, My TAL list that I ran at ACO, I had been playing Farsight Enclaves for about a year at that point. The rules had come out right at the beginning of COVID and I was crushing Nanavati. I was just crushing him in practice games. He was tailoring specific lists just to try and beat that because he thought I was going to go to Adepticon that year and be his main competition. Didn't end up getting to do that, but... I was I had this Farsight style that I, I developed with the big Crisis unit and all the MSU pieces around it, yeah. and essentially none of my favorite books had received codexes in early ninth edition besides Necrons, and as a couple more codexes released, we realized that Necrons are pretty underpowered, honestly. So what am I going to bring? Well, at ACO, I was like, I'm probably not going to win the event anyway. Drukari is still broken. They're not accepting the FAQ for Dark Technomancers. They're just going to let them be broken for this event all right, fine, I'll just bring what I really enjoy playing. I'm going to bring my Tau and I'm going to design it and tailor it so hard to try and beat Jukari by crippling them in their own deployment zone with all the missile pods. And boy, did I beat several Jukari players there, only losing to Nick because he had actual experience playing against my Tau. Yeah, that's
0: but, right. uh, that knowledge is really important. That's right. That uh, that house that you're in is great, but also has its downsides, right, when it comes to those top table games against those yeah, guys. Yeah. He- um, so, all right, let's go back in time. I've kind of got distracted and sidelined and trying to get my own personal coaching session here. Uh, one day you're you're in the tournament scene and you come up against Nick Nanavati at a tournament. I remember him going on to a podcast, raving about what a great guy you are. And I heard him say you're the best opponent he'd ever faced from a uh, not just a player point of view, but a good guy point of view. And next thing you know, he's moving to Florida. You guys are in a house. Can you give us a little behind-the-scenes run-through of of From when you kind of first came up against Nick through to m- him coming down to, we say flat with you, but I guess move in with you. I don't know what the American terminology is.
1: Yeah, move in is, is kind of what's used. But uh, okay,
0: so the first time I
1: actually met Nick was ATC, the American Team Championships that year when John Lennon and I were on Team Brohammer and he was doing his Beast Coast team. And we ended up playing. We played Andrew Gagneau's team round one, and then round two we played Nick's Beast Coast team. So we already started the event with the hardest possible <laughs> yeah. uh, schedule. And these are the teams that are like constantly winning that event. So big, you know, Beast Coast at that time was the big bad team, and so we play his team. He knows that you know he knows John. He knows him from Charity Hammer. He knows he's good, but he's not on Nick's level, according, you know, in Nick's mind. And then he knows that I'm good, but like how good. You know, Tau isn't that great of a faction. Nobody really believed in Tau at that point. I hadn't started winning. Brian Pullen hadn't won anything yet that season. So they go ahead and uh, pair us up, and I just smashed their Eldar Flyer player, which they thought was a 20-0 in their favor. And it was not. It was in my favor. Right. And then from there, um, he starts starts realizing we end up finishing second in that tournament undefeated, but we didn't have as many battle points because we had such hard opponents. And that really put Brohammer on the map then we went on to you know I won nova he has never in his like 15 years of playing competitive 40k has never won nova he's won the invitational but not the main event yeah. i won it in my first year attending so now we're on the now we're on the radar and i'm on the radar specifically so we get to Warzone Atlanta and it's me nick Sean naden you know some of the big names there who are potentially in the running to win it so Nick comes by. He's hanging out. He's chilling. He spills wine all over my table twice <laughs> on the round one, and you know this is this crazy
0: guy having fun. It's just so none of uh,
1: And uh, so we go over. T- we both finish with uh, perfect scores in the round, uh, in round one, and then heading into round two. I see him at the end of the round, and I'm like, hey Nick. So we're playing next round or what? And there's like eight or ten undefeateds at the, you know, uh, not undefeateds, but uh, perfect scores at yeah. this point. And sure enough, as soon as pairings go up, it's me versus him. We go, we get to play on stream. This is like a top table matchup, round two, um, at the super major, and I end up beating him in a very, very close game against his iron hands. It ended up coming down to random game length. If the game ends, I win. If the game continues, Nick probably ends up edging me out. Um, he he rolls the die and uh, rolls a two to end the game. Uh. And then he's like, oh man, if I chose the dice that I wanted, what would have happened? And he rolls a one. So I still would have ended, it didn't matter. <laughs> Good. But uh, he 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 enjoyed the game, loved it. And later that night, when we're at a restaurant, uh, he comes over asking me if I'm interested in doing some coaching for his Brown Magic service. And then I one-up him with a proposal to, hey, we've been talking to the esports team of the a- Alliance. They would like us to have another person so that we have a three-person team. Uh, me, and Mark Perry, and he's like, "Awesome!" You know, we talk through the details, and from there, you know, we actually
0: solidify what would become Art of War. Yeah. So, Art of War is uh, originally you, Nick, Mark Perry. Mm-hmm. We added John Lennon. Um,
1: about you know four four or so months in, five months.
0: Yeah. They say he's a pretty good ad, though, right, John Lennon? Nice guy, yeah. good player. Yeah. He, he is a real good ad. Yeah. Uh, on the on the good guy thing, and this is something that's come up a few times. And I've, I mean, I've watched you, your streams against Lennon and Nanavati. I've I've seen you guys play, you know, online. Uh, and Nick s- speaks very highly on the good guy thing. This is something that really stands out watching you play against people like John, because he's another one who does this. You're always helping, reminding your opponent of strats, counting out dice, making sure they're on top of things as well. Is that how you approach tournaments as as well, or is that just because you guys are all buddies in the house?
1: every single game that i play so right. um that's just my philosophy like i if i am there to win and i'm putting a lot of time money you know et cetera, into you know hobby time into um going to these events and everybody else is doing the same it should be a fun good experience for everybody there so i always want my opponents to have a good time and i want the, be- the game to be about our decision making Right. I want to be able to make the win because I made the best decisions, not because my opponent forgot a crucial rule that should happen 90% of the time. But you know, they were ec- up extra late. You know, they had to call their wife. You know, <laughs> issues. Who, who knows? They've got you three know, kids are... that are hounding them. Exactly. Constantly. <laughs> uh, so like anything could come up. I don't want that to be. So I am happy to remind my opponent. Here's what I have in reserves in their movement phase. You should be screening just remember to screen. And sometimes they'll say, Hey, I don't want to screen. I'm going to accept that you're going to do the damage here. Right. Um, I'm going to, you know, help them with dice. I'm going to, you know, let them know of a stratagem beforehand. So if they're pre-measuring, you know, I'm playing my ad mech list and they're like, okay, so I want to stay outside of the threat range of your rust They move eight and then they could potentially um, charge 12. I'm like, hold on. I could also give them plus range movement this turn uh, from the canic throne net, and I could advance and charge them. So their threat range is actually this. Um, so, yeah. I will explain that in the movement phase, um, as you should. I think that's just being a good sportsman and a, and yeah. a
0: good, uh, competitor. Yeah. And it is uh, the, the question sometimes comes up how often do you remind somebody of a rule? Like if you've told them, hey, this guy's got the armor of Russ, he can therefore make you fight last. So, you know, when you're charging, make I sure do it every time. Mind. Every single time yeah, it there's comes no up. Limit for me. Which is, you know, and there's no arguing with it because. <laughs> You win. You win stuff. It's not like you're losing games because you're letting people know what's going on. I, I never lose games because my opponent
1: um, you know, because I help my opponent do something. I just assume those things should happen. I want to, I want two people playing the perfect game of forty K and I come out on top because I ended up making better decisions in the end. Right. And they might not be significantly better, it's just they add up over time. You know, yeah. Here's these small things that make a real difference. That's what I want to win on.
0: I know you coach people, so this may come across as a as a semi-loaded question, but it must be the same in 40K as it is with any other sport or any other game. There is stuff you can teach, but there's also stuff you can't teach. Is that a, a fair comment? There are some things you as the machine can do that people like me can't do. Brandon Grant can remember stuff that I can't remember. Do you think it's fair that, to say that there are some things that, that maybe can't be taught?
1: I mean, there there is a memory gap, but that's why I, think, I really recommend um, – people have the cards like for my Admech army I have a set of cards for all my army wide abilities then I have the Canic throne net abilities and then every command phase buff and I did the same when I took on uh, iron hands before LVO in 2019 is I had cards for every possible rule I played about 10 games before that event I needed to be sharp on the rules I've played you know like 50 50 games with ad mech at this point I'm still using those cards Um, It's clarity for myself. It's clarity for my opponent. So there's no mystery on what abilities are being uh, given out and where. I just think those tools are really important, and I think you know there's like a stigma towards them that this is you know something a newer player would do. No, there there's something a top player should do.
0: Right. (laughs) I have to say, mastery of your own rules. I've got a a friend of mine who makes fun of me because I have my I have a notepad and right at the top of the notepad in big letters is written "Remember wisdom of the ancients" because I always forget to do it. In my command field. Um, but it is—it's important, right, to have those those little things. But I do still think there are things that uh, some players just have a skill and ability that is that is above or that is beyond, and otherwise you wouldn't get people being at the top of a, a game.
1: Yeah, I, I think it comes down to like making calculated risks. Like, how much am I willing to trade? Often the top table games, and if you look at those U.S. Open events, they are hundred percent about this. Is they come down to trading. Who can get the more efficient trades over the course of a game and end up coming out on top on turn five? And the Games Workshop terrain really emphasizes that ki- type of play style, which I think is very skill-oriented. Um, now, Orc Buggy's kind of threw a wrench in that, um, and Flyers as well, so hopefully we'll get back to more of the Orlando meta. But um, yeah. for now, um, most games still revolve around that type of trading, and it's not always obvious where the efficient trade should come and what you should trade in the early game versus the late game. That, that stuff is hard to teach, because it's sometimes in the moment, and oftentimes it requires practice. It might be the unintuitive decision of, I actually should put this 20-man ranger unit up, and yeah, it's going to get crippled, but it's not going to die, it's going to ensure I get the extra primary, primary points, and it's going to be able to, um, you know, project obsec threat onto my opponent's side of the board the following turn. Like, you got to plan that out, and that comes from experience and just playing a lot of games, or... Having somebody you know, who's a friend in your local community or a coach even who has done those reps and can tell you, hey, I originally thought it was actually this that I send just cheap five men out in the early game. Actually, it turns out if I get that huge uh, lead in the
0: early part of the game, I can actually close it out even for the rest of the game. And yeah. that's actually better. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and stuff it's, like that. so a lot of it does come down to just like getting lots of games and right and, and knowing, yeah. knowing things like uh, this unit's really going to overkill there. You you know what a unit can do and what it can't do, and you only find out by underkilling a unit that you know you need to put more resources in over here or there or whatever it might be. And it's different every single game, which is why I love it so much. I mean, I think it's this game is so complex. It's complex, and it's it's just every single time you go and thinking, man, I learned a big lesson from that last game for someone like me anyway, you go into the next game and because the situation is just, it's completely different now. The guy has a different army, he's making different decisions, the terrain is different, the mission is different and then, you know, he'll go that way when you think he's going to go this way and that kind of stuffs you plan up, whatever it might be. It's just, that's one of the reasons I think we enjoy it is because you're not playing the same thing every single time, you know. it's It's different every single time you go out. And you're learning new things every time. That's part of the excitement for me
1: and why I find this game so compelling is that every single game I play, I learn new things about my army, about right. my opponent's armies, uh, about the terrain that we're playing on and the format, stuff like that
0: and the missions. Yeah. I've got to say, and I know this is, this is supposed to be about you, not me, but as a, I'm in my early 50s and I've had the same job. I've been in my, my job here for 20-something years. So when I discovered 40K... Actually, this is amazing for me, uh, and I'm, I'm saying this for for other people who might be older and getting into it, to, to keep your brain alive, just to keep the challenge up of, of learning new things and, and challenging yourself and expanding your horizons. And I'm hoping it'll be good for things like warding off dementia, uh, you know, just to, just to keep that spark in your brain going when you've been doing the same thing over and over for years and years. You're as sharp as a tack, Steve. <laughs> Boy. Well, I, thank you, and I hope it stays that way for a while. So listen, um, uh, do you think that being a professor who teaches for a living helps with teaching people 40K as well? Is there, is there crossover for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, um, what I primarily taught was world history, even though I'm a European history specialist. And for that, you know, world history is enormous. Um, there's, there's so much you could possibly teach somebody being able to condense that down to a key, couple key fundamentals and be able to build your courses around skills, which is what I did you know, teaching people how to read particular types of sources, how to break down and frame arguments, how to improve their writing. So yeah. I built my content lectures around skills. It's the same thing for coaching 40 K is yes, I can give you particular examples on Admic versus Drukari. But I, you need to build that lesson around a fundamental skill, something that they can take into multiple different matchups.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, who do you learn from? Who coaches the coach? Uh, particularly, and I've always wondered this with someone like, say, Tiger Woods is getting coaching on his swing. Well, how the hell do you coach that guy? He's the best when he was at his prime. Who coaches Richard Siegler? I mean, all, I get coached all the time. Um, you
1: know, the people that I play with in the Art Award team, I'm learning new things constantly. And this is just, Also part of the Games Workshop rule system is that new releases are constantly coming and so the meta is constantly changing. There's new options that become better simply because the overall meta, there's a new menace that you need to deal with. Um, That's the reason why I ran the Flyers in the first place, um, even though I prefer my Metallica build. So you have decisions like this and being able to play a lot of practice games and have that innovation in the house means I get to challenge myself and learn new things constantly. Um, and I get to play against them. I get to put it into practice. Um, repetition is extremely important. And even better than that is repetition against people that has good or hopefully even better than you so that you can improve to such a state. And th- that's why. It was John Lennon. He played um, GSC for a while. And I was you know, rudely you know, just destroyed <laughs> several times. He pulled off like a triple or quadruple rap on me the first time that I played him with like broadsides and Tau Infantry. And after that, I learned some, I, you know, put my army on the table and was like, here's how I have to move my army in such a way that I don't get things wrapped. And then by the time I came, also broadsides are terrible. So uh, <laughs> by the time I came up with the, the version that I really liked and started winning tournaments with, there was, it was impossible to ever wrap me. Yeah. Um, I just had mastered the movement phase and that was a huge part of Tau. is everybody thought it was a shooting army. Well, it's actually a movement army and the better you move, the more, um, the better you can play that army
0: the top tables do you classify yourself as and i don't want this to sound uh rude do you classify yourself as a bandwagon guy or do you think you are a person who has a few armies you like and you'll you'll kind of go back to those two or three i'm thinking ad mctow necrons do you have so a, i
1: think uh yeah, I think John is the biggest bandwagon. <laughs> He's just all over the place. <laughs> he, he played. He did switch to Jukari when they were absolutely broken and won the the Texas event with them. Um, I did not switch ever to Jukari. Instead, I switched and played Tau. Right. Um, I do switch armies, but uh, like Iron Hands, the only chance because I was in the running for the ITC. If I wasn't in the running for the overall ITC championship, I wouldn't have switched to Iron Hands. I would have played Tau at uh, LVO and been happy wherever I got. Probably five and one like Brian Pullen. But um, I ended up switching to Iron Hands because I had the, you know, I really wanted to win best team with Team Brohammer, and I yeah. wanted to win the ITC Championship. That ended up paying off. Uh, but after that, I immediately didn't play any more um, uh, Iron Hands, and then they they got rightfully nerfed. Um, in ninth edition, in the, the early part, well, late eighth edition, I was going to play Tau, continue playing Tau, but the new Farsight style. And then heading into ninth edition, I didn't keep playing Tau simply because. Games Workshop was all over the place with Tau points and their inability to fall back and shoot. They needed a lot of love. They got some love in January, and then the meta. I was able to, you know, in the pure Jukari meta, pretty much uh, and Space Marines. I was able to build a Tau list that actually played well into that. So I wanted to play Tau, and I still do want to play Tau. And as soon as they get a new buck, I will uh, continue to play them. But. Um, uh, for now, I'm playing Admech, which is another army. I've had that army since 8th edition. I built and painted it then. I just didn't play it in tournaments. Right. And now I've had the chance to, although I did not have 30 Rustockers. I do know. <laughs> so, the, so the army itself changed, but I really do love – I have like four or five armies that I really enjoy playing, and right. those are the ones
0: I'll stick with. Yes. If none of them are good, one of them is going to be played. So But you, you're kind of thinking one of them has got to be good. At any given yeah. moment, one of four or five armies is going to be good. Yeah. Um, as a top player, you can have a rotation of your favorite armies. Like sticking
1: with one army purely, that's very tough. There are some players who do it, and kudos to them. Um, but I, I do like more than that, um, and I want to play different styles. It makes the game more interesting, especially as you play as many games as I do. But at, but at the same time, you're not bouncing around from army to army. Um, I am not playing Crackwall Eldar. I'm not playing unless I end in. If I end in playstyle becomes really cool, I might think about it. I didn't ever switch to Jukari. I have no interest in playing Jukari. I don't want to play any Chaos faction. Period. Uh, I don't care Chaos? how you,
0: powerful. You said earlier you don't like Chaos. What is it? Uh, no, just the aesthetic ever. of it, or the aesthetic, the lore. I, I like none of it. Right, the heretics must be purged, Steve. <laughs> well, look, uh, my two armies are Space Wolves and Black Templars. I'm with you. Um, so, uh, although I have been on quite a journey through so many others, but see, I'm, I'm relatively—I want to say I'm new to this. So I've I started in Black Templars. Went through Drukhari, Necrons, Tau. By the way, I didn't do that badly with Tau. I think I won best in faction at a tournament and then a team, my team won the national champs when I was playing Tau. So it wasn't that bad. No, um, no, you weren't. No, Richard C. There, but... there was room for improvement. <laughs> oh, man. Boy, was there. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> listen, before we before we finish up, can I run through some quick fire questions? Uh, most, me- most memorable game? Probably the pro
1: tabletop final where... Uh, Ten thousand dollars was on the line, yeah. and Nick was an awesome sport in reminding me about the uh, melted roll and the fusion blaster in half range. Right, just an awesome moment for forty k as a whole, and and uh, both of us personally.
0: Yeah, yeah, nice. The uh, best player you've ever come up against.
1: Uh, single best player.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be one either... of the guys in the house.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I would basically give you three answers. It's. Nick, John, and Sean. Sean Naden.
0: Right. Sean's good, like right? Sean same. is, because uh, you mentioned people who are s- uh, single faction. Sean yeah, Naden Sean's with extremely. his Eldar, is he's done very well with that army.
1: Yeah. I'm 2-0 ag- against him in tournaments, but, man, is he a really good player.
0: And if you are not on your top game, he is going to run over you. What's your favorite phase of the game? And I mean, uh, your actual favorite, not the most important, because we all know that's the movement phase. Um, I...
1: I get joked, you know. People make fun that uh, the charge phase is not something that I particularly enjoy. But man, do I love ch- making charges! Yeah. And I've seemed to have stolen Mark Perry's uh, ability to make ten-plus-inch charges
0: <laughs> on command. Right. <laughs> so I'm yeah. going to keep that in my back pocket. Boy, that's it's such a. I love. The, I also love the charge phase, but man, it can let me down. And I know that that's all about getting into the right positions to start with. But hate um, the morale phase hate the morale phase. Oh my God.
1: The amount of times that I lose exactly enough models to fail leadership with Necrons and roll the six is, it's a hundred percent.
0: I can't even, this is twice yesterday, playing my friend Aaron, shout out to him, twice. I had guys, I'm like, that's okay. I'm down to one person. He will go over there and get me rod or they'll go over and stand on that objective and they failed morale, and then I rolled a one, and the other guy ran away. And I was just like, well, well, now what do I do? Happens every time. (laughs) Yeah. So you've won everything. You've been number one in the world. What's the next challenge for Richard Siegler? Is there one? Well, right now I'm trying to win the ITC with just six events.
1: Exactly six. I have four events right now. I'm going to play in Austin and LVO, and that's it.
0: So if I win both those events, I will win the ITC. Okay. You're taking ADMIC to those, or you don't want to say what you're taking to those, or is this just a... I have to feel like there's nerfing, like there
1: has to be some sort of balance update coming. So I hope that it, it nerfs Flyers and the Orc Indirect, and if it does, then I get to play my Metallica list, which I really like. Yeah. And if Admech as a whole just gets nerfed, um, hopefully alongside Jukurian Orcs, then I'll probably play Grey Knights.
0: Okay. I meant to ask you about the Grey Knights. That was something I was going to come back to, because you did, on on stream anyway, you you kind of had this Grey Knights army and you dabbled with it for a little while, and then it seemed to go away. But you've still got that army there sitting in the background waiting for the right moment.
1: Yeah, so I played it uh, two and a half, three weeks ago at this point. Okay. I played the Dread Knight build for the first time that I have been slowly building up, and I smashed Nick's uh, Jukari. And that was the list that we used as the core for the team event. Yeah. And I believe Nick is going to run it this weekend at Crucible. But I really like that list. I think it's extremely powerful. It has tons of mobility tricks. It's uh, double obsec. You know, it has two other ways, additional ways to get obsec out. Um, it's just a very tricky, hard army to play against, and it has amazing secondaries. So, playing a defensive play style, um, I, I, it's a really hard army to beat. So, I really like the new Grey Knights. I think they're very strong. It's probably yeah. a little mon- mono-dimensional for a book, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Um, but it is the, what they have is strong. Um, one more question before you go, and this is I, I meant to ask this earlier. Uh, when you've got you, Nick Nanavati, John Lennon, whoever else might be there, on a team. How do you decide who gets what army? Is there a picking order? Or do you draw straws? or just The advantage that we have is that most of us also like particular factions. Right.
1: So all of us didn't switch to Jukari. Nick did, <laughs> uh, Brad did, and John played an event or two with them. Uh, but then switched back to Ultramarines and has been doing other stuff. So luckily we don't have everybody just playing whatever we think is the best and all of us playing that same thing. We, d- we don't have that issue. So right. I've been playing Admet consistently. Nobody else had... I was the admec player. Right. Um, John had been doing super well with uh, with his uh, um, sisters. So yeah, sisters, Brad had been doing amazing with Jukari. He beat Nick twice in the mirror matchup at ACO. He was locked for Jukari, And then Jack has been playing Marines, all right. varieties, but Black Templars in particular, so done there. Then it came down to Nick. Nick had been playing Jukari. He can, we cannot have two Carries. So what was he going to play? That was a whole adventure, was finding out what Nick would play. We went from right. custodies, he wanted to play Harlequins, so you're like, absolutely not. Uh, we want <laughs> you to play Orcs and just run the, the just roll dice at your opponent and table them in, th- in two, three turns. He didn't want to play that, thought it was boring, didn't emphasize his player skill. So I was like, alright, fine. Um, how about this Grey Knight build? That can work. He got some reps in, really enjoyed the play style, and uh, so we got him onto Grey Knights and ended up winning that team event.
0: Yeah, yeah, awesome. I'm i uh, I'm Co-hosting Art of War recording, I think tomorrow. So having that background information is going to be real handy. Talking to Nick about his Grey Knights list. Thanks for that. Um, oh yeah, Ten. yeah. Make sure he gives me the the proper credit. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Citation. If, if he doesn't, I will. Uh, listen, thanks so much for your time, mate. It's really nice to talk to you. Uh, I appreciate it. It is. Um, it's interesting for me. The, the there there the are, and I don't want to you know, build you up too much because there are some other great players, John Lennon being one of them. There are a lot of of great players. There are a lot of very good players out there at the moment. But I feel like if Richard Siegler turns up to an event, much like Tiger in his prime, Jack Nicholas in his prime, there are a handful of people through different sports and different games who, when they turn up, they are hot favorite to win any event that they go to. You are that player at the moment in 40K. Um, So I really appreciate you giving us the benefit of your time and your wisdom. Thanks for that. Thanks so much for the kind words, and thanks for having me on. A huge thanks to a very busy Richard Siegler for his time. Please head over to theartofwar40k.com to get coaching from Richard to find out more about what The Art of War does. And if nothing else, become a member of The War Room. Personal recommendation because, listen, it is a great way to learn the game, to get battle reports, to get good content theartofwar40k.com. Thanks also to the Frontline Gaming Network for supporting, as always, this podcast, and I'd love you to go over and see them online. Please go to Facebook and give us a like. Check me out on Instagram, the Steve Joel on Instagram. I'll see you there, and if nothing else, maybe, hopefully, I'll see you here next time where we're going to be talking to one of the best-known and most influential women in the game of 40k. Until then, I'm Steve Joel. This has been... 40k game changers.